This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. You're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio. Welcome back to Launchpad on SiriusXM's Business Radio. I'm your host, Carl Ulrich. I'm Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School. And I'm recording today from my home and I'm sending my thoughts and well wishes to all our listeners during this difficult time. Right now, joining me via Zoom is Gabe Del Porto, who's the CEO of Udacity, the global online learning platform. Prior to joining Udacity, he worked at LendingTree, where he held several leadership roles, including Chief Marketing Officer and Chief Financial Officer. Gabe, thanks for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Well, let's just start off by telling our listeners about Udacity. So give us the pitch. Tell us what Udacity is all about. (laughs) Great. If you take the highest level view here, um, Udacity exists to retrain the world's workers on the careers of the future. The reason that's important is even prior to COVID, something like a billion people were projected to lose their jobs over the next 10 years due to AI, machine learning, and technology automation. Um, COVID has really probably accelerated that by about eight years with you know, nearly 40 million people in the U.S. alone filing for unemployment um, over the last, call it, eight to 10 weeks. So, uh, so there's a big problem here. And you know, personally, I grew up in, uh, in West Virginia, and I've seen what happens when industries change and people don't reskill. So uh, growing up in West Virginia, there was a pretty vibrant economy. Um, there was nice downtowns or country clubs. I go back today and a lot of those downtowns are boarded up. The country clubs are shut down. And people, instead of getting you know, mid- good middle class uh, wages, are working in service industry making minimum wage. And so it's very painful if you don't reskill. The challenge is if you try and reskill a billion people on the university system, you would you would break the university system. Um, there's just not enough you know, universities to handle that. Um, and also they're quite expensive. And so you'd probably bankrupt the world in the process. And so there needs to be an alternative solution to reskilling mass numbers of people on more relevant, higher demand, higher paying jobs. Udacity helped create a whole category called MOOCs about a decade ago. Uh, that's massively open online courses. And um, it started when Sebastian Thrun, our founder, put his Stanford AI uh, course online and got 160,000 enrollees in the first week. Uh, Stanford was not very happy about this, but uh, he took them all through the entire course, 23,000 graduated, uh, and the number one Stanford student scored number 413 in the class. And that was this epiphany moment that there was huge demand for these pretty high skill uh, type concepts around the world. And, you know, it wasn't just the Stanford student who could be successful, but you had early stay-at-home moms in Pakistan and, you know, people in Argentina and everywhere else in the world um, that were participating and doing very well in these courses. Uh, The challenge with the MOOC model, though, which, you know, typically is taking uh, university classes, videotaping them and putting them online, is that, you know, you don't learn karate by watching Bruce Lee movies. And so a lot of these courses are pretty video intensive and pretty superficial, but you're not getting those like practitioner hands-on skills that you need to actually get a job. And uh, over time, Udacity has really changed quite a bit. Uh, You know, we now start with an employable job resume, which says if you want to be something like a machine learning engineer, um, you should have these four bullet points in your resume, but not, I've watched a video, I've actually done something, I've delivered this real tangible um, product uh, that's relevant to industry. 
And so we, we're a project-based learning platform. We start with you know, creating those four to six deep immersive projects where you're taking code, applying it to massive data sets, applying machine learning algorithms and delivering real tangible, uh, real world outcomes uh, that you can get a job on. And then we go and partner with um, you know, occasionally university, but often in industry with people like Google and uh, Amazon and others to co-create the content and make sure it's super focused on practical um, high-tech skills um, and, and practical outcomes. So uh, that's pretty much it. We think of Udacity as the, you know, the fastest, uh, most effective way to get employable job skills in those careers of the future. All right, Gabe. Well, let me, first of all, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I taught one of the first MOOCs back in 2012. Um, and so I, I'm totally bought in on, on the vision here, but I, I do want to push you on one point, And that is this vision that you're telling about reskilling. So I, I, I can totally imagine a, a smart young person in Karachi who has some computer skills taking one of your courses and becoming, who doesn't have access to Stanford University. Uh, but I'm having a little hard or time imagining a travel agent or someone displaced by technology actually retooling into one of the new jobs. The first question I guess would be, what is the evidence, uh, the large scale evidence that retooling is possible? And secondly, what, is the seg what, what are the segments and who are you really serving? Yeah. Um... So, so that's really the right question. And uh, there's in the broader reskilling category, there's Udacity, but there's there's a lot of other platforms that are more vocational focused. So certainly not everybody is going to have the aptitude aptitude to become an AI engineer, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and there's there's platforms like uh, like RigUp and others that will take you know train people on you know how to be effective in oil fields or alternative energy or other you know, type situations. And so there's, um, there's lots of different platforms for lots of different areas. Udacity is really focused on things like um, software development, um, data analytics broadly, and then mm -hmm. AI and machine learning uh, specifically, autonomous systems, uh, which is a very, very high-end, um, you know, high-paying niche, uh, but also things like digital marketing, product management is super popular with us, uh, cloud computing, um, and so we, we definitely are focused specifically on the careers of the future, uh, these careers that are going to transform our economy, these areas where there are very high paying jobs and there's a supply uh, demand mismatch. In terms of like the proof point that this works, like we, um, our biggest business right now is actually with enterprise companies mm -hmm. and we're not selling to enterprises uh, as a, you know, education as a benefit. Uh, we're selling to, chief, you know, CIOs and CTOs and chief digital officers to help them digitally transform their businesses. And so these giant corporations, typically Fortune 500 companies with 10 or 100 or 200,000 employees, they're all going through their own pain, which is you know, going from legacy models to online and digital models. And they've realized they just can't hire enough people uh, to do this and they can't hire the right skill sets to do this. And so we, we work with them to, um, to totally reskill their workforces on those, uh, those careers of the future. We work with Shell, for example, um, to build out like a large data science capability where uh, they had a lot of engineers like, you know, uh, geological engineers, mm -hmm. which, which had pretty good training, but um, were, were totally untrained in thing like, things like machine learning and, and AI. And so, you know, we put together programs where we could actually build those skill sets and democratize you know, this next generation of analytics 
uh, and that's working extremely well for them. And they're getting, you know, they've, they've already achieved hundreds of millions of dollars of, um, of savings across the country just through uh, applying these, these techniques. So the proof point is that Fortune 500 companies are working with us to transform their workforce into these, uh, these new skill sets. Uh, and also the fact that like our, you know, technical term here, that our, our net retention rate of our clients is our revenue retention rate is like 140%. So if we do nothing, we grow 40% year over year because they're so satisfied with the outcome. Yeah, so I guess- um, and, and I wanna- Go ahead, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I would address your, uh, your question also about can everybody benefit from, from these programs. Um, we also have a lot of on-ramps, right? And so uh, we have uh, you know, a student, Tony Boswell, for example, um, he was a truck driver. He had driven over a million miles over, you know, 10 years. And, uh, you know, his rig blew up and he, you know, was laden with debt and he needed a, a transition. He came to Udacity and, um, and won a scholarship from us. And, um, and now he's like, you know, he's front end software development and he's won employee of the month multiple times now. And so there's a lot of people out there who are quite smart, and, uh, quite clever, uh, who can, can really take these kind of interesting world and, and do quite well. Yeah. Hey, I wonder, um, do you have a diagnostic? Because the way you're describing really is a situation in which an individual has a certain set of aptitude and maybe some foundational skills, and you're trying to find a move they can make that maximizes their, their both their career satisfaction, but also their earning potential that's actually realistic for them, that doesn't give them false hope. Is there a diagnostic that allows an individual to say, okay, this is who I am, where can I go from here? That's a yeah, great question. Um, currently we have those diagnostics, uh, they're being applied right now in the, with our enterprise clients, but mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a reasonable idea that we should be thinking about that in the context of our, our broader consumer clients. And so, um, so we will run, um, you know, assessments uh, to figure out, you know, for, for one of our enterprise clients, who can actually be successful in achieving this outcome, right? Mm -hmm. Who has the basic, you know, aptitude and some basic training to kind of get where they need to be. Um, and so we, we do have those tools. We do use them mostly as our enterprise business. Um, you know, certainly it's, it's worth considering whether to bring that to the consumer world. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, Sirius XM Channel 132. I'm Carl Ulrich, and I'm speaking with Gabe Dalporto, who's the CEO of Udacity. Well, uh, Gabe, uh, speaking of uh, retooling, what would you think about the possibility of a nuclear engineer uh, making the following career moves? Uh, <laughs> first, becoming a, a chief marketing officer, then a CFO, and then becoming a CEO. How would you assess the likelihood of that? Uh, very unlikely. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so tell us about your own career journey. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah so as you, as you know, it's kind of weird. Um, but, you know, I, probably one of the reasons I really resonate with you to ask me, um, you know, I'm just a, an inherently curious person. I studied nuclear engineering just because it was, it was fascinating to me. Uh, when I got out into industry, um, I realized very quickly that uh, working for a nuclear utility was like the slowest, most bureaucratic organization on the planet by design because the core didn't melt last year, so don't do anything innovative, and it won't yeah. melt this year. Right. And um, so I was kind of young and ambitious. I said, well, that's, you know, probably not. <laughs> I want to spend my career. Um, so I went and actually became a strategy consultant uh, directly out, you know, a couple of years out from my, uh, my master's in nuclear engineering. Um, 
that gave me kind of a really good problem solving uh, strategic lens. And then I went into marketing. I spent a large part of my career in marketing and came up through like direct marketing and, you know, jumped on the digital marketing wave when that kind of really started to explode and you know, became chief marketing officer at LendingTree uh, back in 2011. And, um, and LendingTree was just this amazing, uh, amazing, amazing run where, um, you know, I joined to re rebuild the marketing team and the growth engine of the company. And it's, it, you know, LendingTree is a marketplace, so it's kind of like an Expedia. You know, we match lenders to consumers. We don't actually do loans. Um, and uh, so rebuilt their, their growth engine. The company started, you know, growing really well, um, you know, took over as, as president of lending businesses and launched a whole bunch of new uh, lending businesses there. And then got a call in 2015 from uh, the CEO, Doug Lubda, uh, who's been a great mentor to me. He said, hey, do you want to be the CEO? And I think I said, what the bleep are you talking about? And he goes, no, really. Like, I need someone who can lead the you know, finance organization um, from a strategic perspective and uh, who really understands the business in, inside and out and can use, like, data and analytics to really drive better decision making. And I said, okay, well, I've, I've got a lot to learn, uh, and it's going to be pretty uncomfortable um, but I think I can do that. And so I took on the finance seat and really built out that, you know, that analytics engine, um, really used uh, data to make intraday and daily and weekly and monthly decisions for the company. Um, but also raised a fair amount of money, $400 million across you know, a, a couple of different vehicles, and then used that to go buy some real strategic assets. And those became like um, great bolt-ons and accelerants to the business. Uh, and the net result is, you know, over my tenure there, you know, when I joined the stock price was five bucks and I left it was three hundred and fifty one dollars and then number three return on the NASDAQ. So it was really just a tremendous opportunity. And I think the key thing here is like people are, are capable of a lot. I mean, if, if you there are very, very few people who have become a chief marketing officer and a chief financial officer. And um, a nuclear engineer. But you could and a nuclear engineer. Um but there's a lot of smart people out there with, you know, with a lot of range and aptitude. And if you, you know, you help train them and get them, you know, you know, the access to, to knowledge that they need, they can do a lot. And, and I think that's what you'd ask to. Yeah. So, so Gabe, let me ask you a little more about, about your role and about how you've approached your role at Udacity. So I, I haven't really followed Udacity much since the early, early days, but um, you came in, you came in a little less than a year ago. And you, I'm sure the charge wasn't uh, exploit a coronavirus in order to uh, grow the business. I mean, you, there's some exogenous factors here. But what was the charge you were given coming in as a hired CEO to, to improve the, the fate of this business? And, and how did you, how'd you think about that job and what your plan was? Yeah, so, you know, the charge was really... Um, multifaceted, uh, you know, the first was really figure out what our strategy should be. You know, we are a business that started in the consumer world, um, but had really found tremendous product market fit in enterprise yeah. a couple years back. Um, and, and there was, but there was a lot of skepticism around the enterprise business at the time. And, uh, the, you know, I think back in, you know, the 2015 timeframe, there was a real resistance to even enter the market. Um, and it, you know, it took some, some leadership of uh, people within the company, uh, our chief product officer out there, second was, he was running Europe at the time. And he was the one that kind of stood up and said, hey, there's real opportunity here. And he kind of used his internal political, political capital to stand it up. 
but by the time I got there, it was uh, it was moving in the right direction, but still kind of a smaller business and still didn't have full you know, full alignment that enterprise was the right strategy and the way to go. So number one is like, what are we as a business? Are we consumer? Are we enterprise? We also have a government business where we're helping retrain populations. Like, who are we? Um, you know, step two is like, how do we build like real operational rigor and discipline? Um, and, you know, get the right people in the right roles and get, you know, make sure we're pointing in the right direction. Um, and step three is how do we bring analytics into decision making? And, you know, historically the company had, you know, made a lot of uh, moves and decisions, but not always based on fact and data. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the first things I did is said, you know, we're going to be a you know, data-driven, fact-based decision-making culture. And if the data says I'm wrong, I lose, right? And, uh, and that's true of everybody else in the organization. And um, so really I was hired to, to figure out the strategy, get the right people in place and, and you know, use data to drive us where we need to go. Um, and I think we're, you know, we're executing pretty well on that. Um, we've, we've brought in some great new talent at the executive level. Um, there's a lot of really great talent within the organization. Um, and so we're just working to get them clarity on what they should be working on and how, how to, you know, get aligned, how to make better decision-making, how to do a lot of like uh, A-B testing and things like that to, to get clarity on what our value proposition should be. But, and on the strategy you know, side, I think we're very, very clear now that you know, the enterprise business is super attractive. It's a place where we can uniquely win. We have a uniquely great product for that. Um, so there's, there's certainly lots to do. And, uh, and, and we can talk about COVID, COVID separately, but that, that's changed the dynamics pretty much early. Yeah, well, well let's, let's make that transition. So you, you had a plan. You know, in the words of Mike Tyson, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And you, you, you were, you were, you were on that track for six months and then you got punched in the face. So tell me when you knew that this was a crisis slash opportunity and then how you thought about and went about responding to the crisis slash opportunity. Yeah, I think we saw it as a crisis pretty early. Uh, We went work from home first week in March, which is ahead of most people. Um, And uh, and we saw this was going to fundamentally be very disruptive. Uh, It was not at all clear if it was going to help or hurt us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, like most businesses, we kind of, uh, we slammed the brakes on hiring. Um, We didn't overreact. Let's just stop hiring. Let's lay a bunch of people off and get ourselves in a good place. And, um, but, uh, we stopped, uh, we stopped hiring, and then we, you know, we had hypotheses about how this would affect us, but no one knew because, like, there had never been a company like us um, that's gone through a, a recession. And uh, so we had a hypothesis that the consumer business would do pretty well because people typically go back to university when they lose their jobs. Uh, that turns out to be true. So we've seen mm-hmm. tailwinds for sure in our, con- our consumer business. We had a hypothesis that our enterprise business would get its teeth kicked in because historically... Uh, enterprises cut about 50% of their training budgets in mm. recessionary periods. Um, that turned out to not be true. And, and the reason it was not true is that we had really attached ourselves to CIOs and CTOs and digital transformation, yeah. which became that much more mission critical. Um, and, I, you know, I think it might have been a lot harder if we had been selling as, you know, education as a benefit. Um, but we weren't. And so, we, and, and so we've seen actually really good strength in our enterprise business, which has been fantastic. So that business continues to do well. And then we have a government business where, 
know, we're working with five governments around the world right now to retrain their populations. And mm -hmm. that business will probably double this year. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so it turns out it's, it's been relatively uh, positive for us. And, um, and so now we're starting to step on the gas again and, and really lean into it. Now, in the absence of information, we made some pretty quick moves. So the first thing we did is to say, like, there's tons and tons of people that are laid off. Uh, they, they're in pain, like, and we need to figure out how to help them. So um, we've, uh, you know, uh, we've been working to get people scholarships. And uh, we'll give, you know, we'll give away 20,000 foundational scholarships this year. Um, a couple thousand more like deep nano degree scholarships, uh, which were much more immersive and, and much more expensive to deliver, frankly, um, and, uh, and partnering with enterprises to deliver those. Then uh, we also opened up the, the entire platform um, for, uh, for a free month. So if you really, really work at it, you can complete an entire nano degree in a month. Like if you work 50 hours a week, like you can actually get it done. So people could go on our platform and they did um, and start to immediately upskill themselves for free. Um, that was received so well that we've continued that. And so now anyone can come to Udacity and experience the platform and learn as much as you can you know, for free for a month. Um, and so number one was like, we made some pretty big bold moves just to deal with the fact that a lot of people are out of work and they need to get back to work. Um, and it's, it's actually worked out pretty well for, for us from a business perspective uh, as well, because a lot of those people um, take advantage of the free month and continue on and continue to learn as, as paid users. So yeah, I mean, we've, we've adapted and, and I think we're, we're feeling very comfortable with where the business is today and we're, we're starting to lean into it. Another thing we did was, um, you know, we, we kind of cut our marketing budgets um, and we, we continue to launch new programs. And so we launched a, uh, a new program called um, AI for healthcare and, and, uh, and we didn't have a budget to launch it. <laughs> and so uh, we said, well, what are we going to do? And we put, we pulled together literally in about four weeks, a, uh, a conference uh, called AI for healthcare in the time of COVID. Uh, we um, adjusted some of the projects in the, in our uh, program to be relevant to COVID. And uh, we literally had 16,000 people register and about 12,000 people attend uh, this, this two day conference where we got some of the most renowned speakers in the world to talk about um, healthcare, the use of technology in healthcare, COVID and the applications, and uh, just had this tremendous uh, launch that frankly we wouldn't have done if we, you know, we weren't faced with, you know, limited marketing budgets and COVID and all the uncertainty in the business. So I think, uh, I think frankly, like times of crisis create innovation and, and this is, this is certainly no different. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio on Sirius XM 132. I'm Carl Ulrich, and I'm speaking with Gabe Del Porto, who's the CEO of Udacity. Gabe, what about in managing the business itself? So this is a crisis, a forced disruption. You had to do a massive experiment in work from home. What elements of the practices you've adopted during the crisis will you continue indefinitely into the future? So the work from home is really interesting. We, we are fortunate in that we are a, um, you know, we, we deliver our product online. I sit on the board of a company called Guitar Center, which is by far the largest retailer of music instruments across the United States. Um, they had a lot harder go of it, which is they had, you know, 10,000 employees, yeah. many of them in retail centers, and they had to worry about the, you know, the health <laughs> of every single one of those employees in the distribution centers and a lot of learning from them. Um, but we were already delivering a product that didn't require face-to-face -face interaction. 
uh, which was helpful. Um, yeah. A lot of our employees, you know, we're kind of used to occasionally working from home. Um, so we went, we went hard worldwide, you know, work from home, uh, you know, for the safety of our employees. I would say, if anything, our, our productivity has gone up pretty materially. Wow. And, and I also don't see us going back to, you know, large scale being at the office, at least for a year, right? Mm-hmm. Until there's something structurally that's been done to solve, um, you know, solve COVID. And so we're planning to say, you know, work from home until there's a vaccine. And, and I think my estimation is that's probably at least a year away. Um, and then going forward, we'll probably be just a lot more effect, you know, uh, flexible. Um, you know, it, it works and I don't see a reason to force everybody to go back into the office uh, every single day. And so we'll have, to, we'll have to figure out what that looks like. We haven't made any final decisions there, but certainly we want to keep everybody safe and we want to, you know, get the most out of um, uh, the situation, situation that we can. Yeah. So Gabe, I want to turn to what will probably be our last topic. I'm my day job, I'm a professor, so I'm I'm in a similar business, and I have been thrust into a an online learning environment. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the product and about the product experience for Udacity and what best practices are in in remote learning. Such a great question. Um, so many people are going through the same pain you're going through. Uh, you know, I, I can tell you, like my kids are in you know fifth and eighth grade, and um, they're <laughs> you know, they go to two different schools who handled it differently and one of them handled it really well the other school didn't um everybody's just learning right now uh yeah. you know we've been doing this for a long time you know for us what works is uh, a totally different model um and so you know standing in front of a class and lecturing for 50 minutes uh with a chalkboard probably isn't the right way to do it online and uh we Again, we, we, we think of this as like a lot of project-based learning, so getting people's hands dirty and, and doing projects and, and learning experientially. But the, we also have, you know, tons and tons of video lectures. And, but these are like four to five minute video lectures to hit a specific concept, followed by like hands-on keys coding or hands-on keys exercises, followed by four to five minutes and repeat, uh, reinforcing each of those concepts. Um, so it's, it's much uh, shorter, broken up, followed by reinforcement learning, um, followed by, you know, probably once a month, like a deep immersive project to bring in all the concepts together into a real, you know, real world outcome. And that looks very different than a traditional university or even grade school or high school lecture, right? And so I think everybody needs to take a giant step back and say, if we're going to deliver more of this online, how would we do it differently? Right. And do you actually need a professor, you know, giving the same lecture every year for the next five years? Or should that be brought online? And then the professor spends more time doing other things, more high value add with students. So it's a great, exciting time to be in this space. And I think, um, you know, a lot of innovation is going to happen. And it's going to be exciting to see how this all plays out. Yeah. Tell, tell, tell me a little bit more about about how you manage your talent, actually. And so you talked about projects, you talked about videos, you said you can't learn karate by watching a Bruce Lee movie, but do you in fact have Bruce Lee who does the lectures and then somebody who helps with the projects? Yeah, I mean, he's super, the, the instructor is super important in this, right? I don't wanna minimize that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we like, in, most of the time we will go to like a Google and uh, co-create the content with them and take people like from Google and, and work with them or from, you know, Lyft or, or other kind of leaders in the space or, you know, we, or BMW or whatever. 
Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes uh, we can't find a corporate partner and we'll just go, you know, report leader, uh, recruit kind of leaders in the industry to uh, mm -hmm. be instructors. Um, so the instructor is actually really important and the caliber of instructor is really important, but all, so is the pedagogy, which is the, just how it all comes together and, and how it flows and how you re reinforce that learning. Right. Well, uh, Gabe, it's it's super interesting. This is an amazing time, and and we're all learning. So I really appreciate your making the time to join us and to share your insights. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. So, and I, I made a mistake not to give a, a pitch to our listeners. So, where can our listeners learn more, and how can they how can they uh, experience Udacity? Go to udacity.com and you can find your way into anything from digital marketing to AI to self-driving cars. All right, that's U-D-A-C-I-T-Y.com, Udacity.com. All right, thanks again, Gabe. Thank you so much. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.